The Lord is with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Grace and peace to you on behalf of Dean Robert Allen Hill and the Marsh Chapel community as we are a gathered congregation present at 735 Commonwealth Avenue in Boston, present in New England through National Public Radio, WBUR 90.9 FM, and present through internet and podcast around the globe at WBUR.org. Dean Hill sends his greetings from Albany, New York, where he is preaching at Trinity United Methodist Church. We wish him traveling mercies and a safe return to us next Sunday. We are pleased to welcome to our pulpit this morning the Reverend Regina L. Walton. Reverend Walton is an Episcopal priest who serves as the curate at the Parish of the Good Shepherd in Waban, Massachusetts. She is also a PhD candidate in religion and literature in the Division of Religious and Theological Studies at Boston University. Since 2007, she has been Dean Hill's teaching assistant for his fall course at the School of Theology, the Gospel of John. Welcome, Reverend Walton. I am Victoria Hart Gaskell, an elder in the New England Conference of the United Methodist Church and a chapel associate here at Marsh. Joining me in reading the service are Professor Uria Koskinen, Mr. John Pedican, and Mr. Abraham Benavides, with Mr. Bill Allen as our cantor for the psalm. I will offer the prayers of the people on our behalf, as Mr. Bill Allen also offers our offertory prayer. Our musicians this morning are the Marsh Chapel Choir, under the direction of our own Mr. Justin Blackwell, who is also our organist. We encourage your written or emailed responses, your prayerful and material support, your selection of personal forms of ministry, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us in worship. So now, beloved, rise up, now and at the invitation throughout this service, in body as you are able, but certainly in heart, in the praise and worship of God.
beloved, let us pray together. O God, from whom all good proceeds, grant that by your inspiration we may think those things that are right, and by your merciful guiding may do them. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. During the singing of the Kyrie, God invites us to confess and to repent of those things that separate us from God, from ourselves, and from our neighbors. Dearly beloved, hear the good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson for the first book of Samuel, chapter 8, verses 4 to 11 and 16 to 20. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint for us then a king to govern us like other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to govern us. Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in all, the, in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them, just as they have done to me from the day I have brought them up out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other goods, uh, gods. So, all, so, so also they are doing to you. Now then, listen to their voice only. You shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel reported all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, This will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. He will take your male and female slaves and the best of your cattle and donkeys uh, put, uh, and put them to his work. He will take one-tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king who you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. They said, no, but we are determined to have a king over us so that they will also be like other nations and that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. The, vo the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
lesson from St. Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 13 through chapter 5, verse 1. But just as we have the same scripture, same spirit rather, of faith that is in accordance with scripture, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will bring us with you into his presence. Yes, everything is for your sake so that grace as it extends to more and more people may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure, because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Please join me in reading responsibly verses from Psalm 138 with the antiphon. give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted your name and your word above everything. On the day I called, you answered me. You increased my strength of soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord for they have heard the words of your mouth. They shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he perceives from far away. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve me against the wrath of my enemies. You stretch out your hand, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me, your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. And now please rise for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel lesson. Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark, chapter 3, verses 20 through 35. And the crowd came together again, so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him. For people were saying, he has gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, 
he has the Beel's bull, and by the ruler of demons he casts out demons. And he called them to him and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then indeed his house can be plundered. Truly, I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, he has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. The Gospel of the Lord. It's a great honor and pleasure to worship with you this morning. I have so much respect and admiration for Dean Hill, and it's a great privilege to stand in his stead. And standing in his stead has been made much easier by the fact that Marsh Chapel has an adjustable pulpit. So for that, I am grateful. Though I have almost no nautical knowledge or understanding of shipbuilding, one of my favorite museum exhibits has always been the collection of maritime paintings at the Peabody Essex Museum in Salem. These are masterfully executed renderings of 17th through 19th century ships from all across New England. Their aesthetic, which is captivating to me, combines strength and power with delicacy of line and grace of movement. However, while the paintings themselves are unbelievably detailed, maritime paintings as a genre fall into a very limited number of categories. You have ships in a calm harbor, ships in a storm, whaling ships in pursuit, ships in battle, ships in battle in a storm, and the tragic ne plus ultra, the shipwreck. Despite the restricted subject matter, I think part of my fascination with these paintings has to do with what you might call their moral message, which I would summarize this way. Even the pinnacle expressions of human craftsmanship and ingenuity are no match for the elements or for human nature, for wind or water or war. Wind and water have always been used as metaphors for the spiritual realm. In Genesis 1, the spirit moves over the waters, ruffling the abyss, churning it up as God began the work of creation. In the Exodus, the Lord sends a driving east wind to part the Red Sea and let the Israelites walk across on dry land. Jesus walks across the raging sea to the terrified disciples and calms the storm demonstrating his command of the natural and the supernatural world. Wind and water, we see outlines, direction, response. We can feel the pressure drop. We can smell the rain on the air before it falls. But the forces that cause this are invisible and out of our control. And so it is with the Holy Spirit, which two Sundays ago we celebrated in Pentecost. We feel the spirit and see its effects. It is presence, but not a presence that can be pinned down. 
The Holy Spirit is the wild card of the Trinity. The Spirit itself does not speak. It only speaks through. The Holy Spirit is the opposite of every broad human preference, where we want order, predictability, control, tangibility, hierarchy. The Holy Spirit is unbound, unpredictable, out of control, immaterial, and, to use biblical language, no respecter of persons, especially important persons. In other words, the Holy Spirit is rarely good news for the status quo. In today's scripture readings, physical reality, the facts of this world, its established structures and relationships, real life, as it is often called, is pitted against spiritual reality, the immaterial, the hidden but strongly felt presence of God manifest, the great mystery of our existence. The Israelites, in the lesson from the Old Testament that we heard, want a king. The age of rule by the judges and prophets is coming to an end. The days of the Exodus and of wandering in the wilderness, of being led by a pillar of cloud and fire, are long gone. The Spirit of the Lord has rested on various prophets and judges speaking through them. When Israel has followed the Torah, it has prospered. When it has not, it has faced disaster. But now the great prophet Samuel is old, his sons are corrupt, and Israel is tired of this system. Appoint for us a king to govern us like other nations. We just want to be like everybody else, the chosen people say, sounding a bit like junior high school students. We want what everyone else has. Why do we have to be different? Why can't we have a king that we can see and touch? who can speak to us directly, not from a mountain or fiery cloud or in thunder. We want someone accessible. We want someone who will go out ahead of us and fight our battles. Which is, of course, another dig at Yahweh. Hasn't he been fighting for them at Jericho and Canaan? But they want someone in a crown and a shiny suit of armor, not a hidden force from above. Now, at this point, Samuel could have said, okay, but how about a constitutional democracy? But he doesn't. He consults with the Lord, who tells Samuel that they are really rejecting the Lord as king and not Samuel. The Lord tells Samuel to give the people what they want, but to warn them about, about what life under a king will really be like. By foregoing the spiritual leadership of the Lord as King of Israel, the people will be subjected to economic oppression. The king will take their sons and daughters, their labor, their harvest, their livestock. Samuel tells the people, you will be his slaves. You would think that after Egypt this would give them pause, but it does not. So Samuel anoints Saul to be king over Israel. Saul's main qualifications for kingship, we learn elsewhere in 1 Samuel, are that he comes from a wealthy family, he is incredibly handsome, and he is much taller than anyone else in Israel. He definitely has the ancient equivalent of presidential hair. In other words, he's everything they want, and he is an utter failure who will be replaced by David of Goliath and slingshot fame. And so the nation of Israel begins their long and difficult relationship with monarchy, which will end in exile and the destruction of the temple, the biblical version of the maritime shipwreck painting. The Israelites' impulse to prefer the physical, visible, and tangible to the spiritual is a characteristic of human nature. At some point or another, we have all tried to fix spiritual problems, or if you like, emotional or psychological ones, with physical solutions. We want a quick, clean, and tangible fix. We prefer to deal above the surface only. We are unhappy in our relationship or in our job, so we buy lots of things we don't need and fill up our houses with stuff. Or we decide that if we were 
10 or 15 or 20 pounds lighter, we would feel much differently about our lives. Or we decide that we need to renovate or redecorate again. We want visible solutions, even if they are not the right solutions for what ails us. We do this as individuals, and we do it as communities as well. I've been a member of several different faith communities over the years, and I'm always amazed at the length church vestries or boards will go to reframe any problem in terms of a physical solution. I think the best example of this was when I was asked, along with several other people from churches in the western suburbs, to work with the remaining members of a tiny, tiny congregation that was finally ready, probably a decade too late, to face its own serious decline and think about its future. There were only about 10 people at Sunday worship. They could no longer afford a clergy person. And so a group of us gathered with them to talk about options, if they should try one last time to grow or simply to close their ministry in that place. They had recently asked a roofer to look at the church roof and the roofer had said it would need to be replaced in about a year. For many members of the committee, that roof became a big topic of discussion at every single meeting. How would we pay to fix the roof? Should we wait a year or do it now? Should we take out a loan to fix the roof? On and on. This roof got lots of attention sitting atop an almost empty church. Now, I am a person not generally prone to thoughts of arson. But I did catch myself thinking once or twice how convenient it would be if for some reason this dilapidated old millstone of a church building would just, you know, disappear. Go up in smoke, collapse, what have you, at night when no one was there. And then we could get on with the real work that we were called together to do to decide if this congregation has a future. I didn't give in to those thoughts, by the way, and the church building still stands. As followers of Christ, we always want to be aware of the temptation to solve our problems with concrete, tidy solutions that completely bypass the spiritual realm and thus avoid the will of God and the examination of our souls. The spiritual solution to whatever problem we are dealing with is often time-consuming, messy, and full of vulnerability on our part. Because it involves faith and trust in God, whom we can't see, it's much easier as individuals, families, or faith communities to do our own version of fixing the roof, distracting ourselves with something that is tangible but immaterial to our problem. Or worse, our own version of anointing a king, taking our trust away from our very present but hidden Lord and placing it in someone or something of this world. The Bible's term for that is idolatry. But the Holy Spirit, always calling to us, always reaching out to us, wants more for us than superficial solutions. The Holy Spirit wants wholeness and abundant life for us. And this is only possible through deep grappling with what is really wrong under the surface, not with what is easy to fix. This is only possible when we put ourselves in subjection to God's grace. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, was always calling on those who followed him to pay attention to the hidden but present things of God, to the way that the kingdom of God was trying to unfold in this world. And so he held the spirit of God and spiritual relationships above human institutions and natural or biological relationships. In today's gospel reading, Jesus, still at the beginning of his ministry, has been traveling around, healing people, casting out demons, and speaking in strange parables. He decides to return home for a while. But when he gets to Nazareth, the scripture says that when his family heard it, they went out to restrain him, for people were saying, he has gone out of his mind. Upon hearing that his mother and brothers and sisters are outside asking for him, Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers? Here are my mother and brothers. 
Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus denies his biological family, his family of origin, we might say, in favor of the spiritual community constituted by those following God's commandments. This moment is completely consistent with Jesus' teaching elsewhere. Let's review for a minute what we might call Jesus' family values. A man who wants to follow Jesus says, Teacher, first let me bury my father, and then I will follow. Jesus replies, Let the dead bury their dead. Another time, a woman in a crowd calls out to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts that nursed you. Jesus answers, Blessed are they who hear the will of God and do it. And even more challenging in Matthew 10, I come not to bring peace but the sword, and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Friends, these are Jesus' family values. Not very traditional, are they? Harsh, difficult to accept. The Spirit of God has more claim on believers than their families. This, frankly, is a radical notion even now, let alone in the first century. A little aside here about Mary. Jesus, as we heard, rejects the notion that his mother is to be honored simply for the fact that she is his mother. Instead, Mary is held in the church's memory because of her faith and her assent to God's will for her. As Mary's cousin Elizabeth says to her in the Gospel of Luke, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. It is Mary's belief and not her biology that makes her blessed. And in this, we are actually able to imitate her. Jesus didn't go much easier on other physical identity markers, such as tribe, nationality, or class. All of this was secondary to life lived in obedience to God's will. Women and slaves held leadership positions in the earliest house churches founded by followers of Jesus. This was unheard of among the Greek mystery religions that competed with Christianity for converts, and it was one of the reasons why the young church grew so rapidly. In God and in Christ, we are not limited by our earthly identity markers, by our gender or sexual orientation, by our families, by our race or ethnicity, by the various tribes to which we belong, professional, educational, or class-based. The Apostle Paul said, there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. This does not mean that these things become invisible or insignificant. It means that they are not the sum of all we are in God. In Christian community, we are able to transcend the restrictions placed upon us by the circumstances of our lives. Jesus' family came to restrain him. Many of us come from wonderful families, and many of us come from less wonderful families. Probably all of us, at one time or another, have felt restrained by our families in some way, by their expectations of us, or their visions of who we were meant to be, or who we were meant to be with, or not with, restricted by their ideas of the limits of what we can accomplish, or conversely, by their ideas of the unlimited things we could accomplish if only we were trying harder. Jesus reminds us that ultimately, we are accountable to God alone. We can form relationships in our faith communities that support us in ways that our families or the members of our various secular tribes cannot. Each of us has to learn to look for the movement of the Spirit working in our lives and in the world around us, 
and we need to learn how to respond to that same spirit to bring about God's kingdom. This is why we need our spiritual brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. This is why we need to put our trust in God, so hidden and yet so very present, rather than in all the shiny distractions vying for our attention. Paul says to us in Corinthians, even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. How much attention are we giving to our inner nature? Our physical homes are full of stuff. How much furniture is in our spiritual homes? In whom are we putting our trust? From whom are we getting our support? One of the things I love the most about the glorious paintings of ships in the Peabody Essex Museum is the way that the water is rendered, the light reflecting off it, the exquisite details of the individual ripples and waves. The ships are magnificent, but the vast ocean itself is even more so. Our Christian lives are undergirded by the waters of baptism. Through our baptism, we receive new life, regeneration from sin, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises we made in baptism, or that were made on our behalf, form the foundation of our faith. Our baptism may have taken place years and years ago, but we can always float in our baptismal waters. On that day, the germ of our faith, or the faith of our sponsors, joined with God's infinite and vast faith in us to create an indissoluble bond that will always sustain us. This bond will remain when all else, even our physical bodies, has passed away. So finally, the spiritual life is real life, and it is only in the spirit that we become truly alive. In God's name, amen. As we are called to prayer through the singing of Lead Me, Lord, we invite you to pray in the way that would most support the prayers of this community. Please stand or kneel at the altar rail, raise your hands in place, respond in your first language, however the Spirit may move you this morning. I will set the intention and then will say, in your grace, if you would please respond 
hear our prayer. Dearly beloved, let us pray together. are one, you who are three, one God in perfect community. We who are created in your image are glad and grateful for your presence with us as source of all life and Christ and spirit, for your encouragement by your gifts and fruits in our lives, for your empowerment to grow in love and to choose the good. In your grace of invitation and inclusion, we pray. For ourselves, as individuals and for the communities of which we are a part. For our particular ministries in the world. For our ministry in and through Marsh Chapel and the Office of Religious Life. For the work of all the church. In your grace, hear our prayer with and for our cousins and neighbors in faith traditions not our own, and with and for all people of goodwill, for the works of blessing, courage, and peace in and through us all for the life of the world. In your grace, hear our prayer. For the nations and peoples of the world, for the leaders amongst them, and for the ways of peace amongst us all. In your grace, hear our prayer. For creation, for our earth and air and water, for our companion animals, insects and plants. In your grace, hear our prayer. For those who disagree with us, and those who wish us harm, and for all those who we ourselves have injured or offended. In your grace, hear our prayer. For those individuals and communities who face particular challenges of mind, body, spirit. In your grace, hear our prayer. For those who have died, for their family and friends, for your will fulfilled in them, and for our sharing with all your saints in the life to come. In your grace, hear our prayer. For the celebrations and joys of our human life. In your grace, hear our prayer. In all these things we pray in trust, as you pray with us in your compassion too deep for words. Amen. And continuing in our prayer together, as our Lord Christ has taught us, we are bold to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Peace of the Lord be always with you. Good morning and welcome to Marsh Chapel. We encourage you to take a moment to put your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better. Upcoming in July, we are going to be holding a vacation Bible school here at Marsh Chapel. We have not decided on the date yet, but it'll be early July, so if you're interested, please let me know. We will also be holding a summer reading club on June 24th in the morning before church. Lastly, next week is Father's Day, and we'll be holding a brunch here at Marsh Chapel, 9.45 in the morning. It's free and open to everybody, so if you're interested in coming, please let me know. For all other upcoming services and activities, please keep an eye on our chapel website, www.bu.edu chapel, where you'll also find the opportunity for online giving. Now walk in love as Christ loved us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
We pray this day that the Holy Spirit bless us with the gift of unpredictability and chaos. Let this money not merely serve a good and physical purpose. Let it be a blessing of unpredictability, chaos, a blessing on the spirit. Let it lighten the load on someone's soul. In your name we pray, amen. Almighty God, who enlightened the minds of the disciples by pouring out upon them the Holy Spirit, make you rich with his blessing, that you may abound more and more in that spirit forever. <laughs> 